and all of this uh, innovation is all about taking down the barriers to deployment, making it easier for uh, non-expert, non-robotics experts to be able to deploy the technology and deploy it quickly and easily and get it up and running and delivering value as quick as possible. Welcome to the Manufacturing Executive Podcast, where we explore the strategies and experiences that are driving mid-sized manufacturers forward. Here, you'll discover new insights from passionate manufacturing leaders who have compelling stories to share about their successes and struggles. And you'll learn from B2B sales and marketing experts about how to apply actionable business development strategies inside your business. Let's get into the show. Welcome to another episode of the Manufacturing Executive Podcast. I'm Joe Sullivan, your host and a co-founder of the industrial marketing agency, Gorilla76, where we help B2B manufacturers grow through revenue-focused marketing programs. Over the past couple of years, having conducted well over 100 conversations with manufacturing leaders on this podcast, and many more with our own clients and prospects, I've observed a gap between reality and perception about robotics, automation, and Industry 4.0 technology. The perception is that many of these technologies are still a little bit out of reach, requiring overwhelming investments and major changes to company infrastructures. But I've become more and more convinced that these assumptions aren't necessarily true in the way they might have been a decade ago. Today, the cost of hardware is lower. There are more use cases for automation and more specialized robots to do these jobs as well. We have no-code robots available to deploy quickly with little to no programming knowledge required. We have cobots available to assist with rather than replace human labor. And given the unmet demand for labor in our economy right now, all of these technological advancements in manufacturing are becoming more of a necessity than they are an option. My two guests today collectively possess a wealth of knowledge about these topics, and they're gonna break down what they know for you in this conversation. Let me introduce them. Fadi Saad is a general partner of Cybernetics Ventures. He's also the co-founder of Mass Robotics, the first and largest robotics and AI startup escalator in the world. Fadi led the multi-million dollar fundraising for the organization and architected Mass Robotics corporate partnership program and business model. Fadi supported and advised multiple startups and introduced them to 150 plus VCs in the US and globally. Early in his career, Fadi was a regional manager of Nokia Siemens Networks in North Africa and Europe, where he led and managed multi-million euro acquisitions and bids. He was also part of the team that led the merger between Siemenscom and Nokia Networks in North Africa for 700 plus employees. Mark Martin is a general partner of Cybernetics Ventures. He's an experienced investor, board member, advisor, and tech executive. Mark is a former VP of Analog Devices, Industrial Automation, Sensors, and IoT Division, where he ran a $1 billion plus business led multiple acquisitions, led strategic investments, and scaled new business ventures. Mark has 25 plus years of executive tech leadership spanning industrial, healthcare, automotive, and consumer industries. Mark executed the sale of two business units for more than 450 million and led 100 million of acquisitions across four transactions. 
Fadian Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, guys, I'm wondering if you could start out by telling us a little bit about cybernetics and what you guys are doing over there. Yeah, cybernetics is um, an early stage VC fund. We invest in pre-seed, seed, and uh, Series A companies. Um, we um, we formed the company um, or the firm to solve the early stage funding gap for robotics automation AI companies. And um, we do believe that um, most investors um, either clustered around SaaS and pure software investments or biotech investments. And those are both kind of two ends of the spectrum. And robotics uh, does not fit uh, well um, any, any, any of those clusters somewhere uh, in between. So this created a, a challenge for most investors, like how do you, how do you assess, how do you um, do due diligence on uh, early stage robotics company? How do you engage later on with portfolio companies? So um, um, kind of realizing that we uh, we are on a mission to really carving out robotics as a whole investment plus in itself. And from a fund focus perspective, uh, based on all of our experience in the market and technology uh, domain, we focus on four, uh, four sectors, manufacturing, logistics, healthcare, and construction. And each of those are in various phases of of evolution. And uh, we also, from the fund strategy perspective, we're investing about half of the fund in full stack hardware, software, robotics companies, and then the other half of the fund in what we call enabling technologies like AI and machine learning, uh, cloud robotics, cybersecurity for robotics, uh, IoT, which is all kind of connected into the whole smart machine uh, theme. So uh, good diverse uh, strategy, and we we are also you know we're based on the East Coast, but we're investing uh, we're investing uh, globally. Tell me a little bit about Mass Robotics as well. So um, so Mass Robotics, my motivation to co-found Mass Robotics was the unique um, chasm for robotics companies that it's uh, rarely we speak about. There's the very famous chasm of how you move from early adapters to mass market. And uh, there has been a lot of research, lots of books around that. But there is another chasm that um, kind of overlooked, especially in hardware and deep tech uh, manufacturing related uh, companies, which is how do you move from a prototype to a finished product? In software, you don't have really this chasm because once you have a, a, an MVP, a minimal viable product or a prototype, you can put it online. You can put it on the app store, let people play with it. And uh, if there's any bugs or any problems, you can fix all of this over the air. Uh, the worst thing that could happen is the, um, the software would crash. But obviously in hardware, you cannot do the same. No one is expecting a, a prototype of a car or a phone or a piece of a machine. Uh, the, the tolerance for uh, failure uh, is, is much lower. And obviously costs and liabilities and uh, shipping and, and all of that is, uh, is just uh, higher and, and very different. So, um, so this, this chasm, uh, historically speaking, is where many robotics companies would fail. Like they, they will join the traditional incubation and acceleration model, move from an idea to a prototype. And then they are basically, they, they don't find the resources. Where, where do they go from there? So um, when I, uh, when I co-founded Mass Robotics, uh, this was the unique problem that I was focusing on is 
how we can create a system, a support system for startups that solves some of the key problems in this chasm. How do we take companies from the stage to a finished product? And it really comes down to three key things. Uh, a shared physical infrastructure with the machine shop, prototyping, uh, lots of assets, lots of robots, uh, electronics lab, and uh, basically the physical space, because this is a huge uh, investment on the, uh, the startup side. The second one is the strategic infrastructure. So having strategic connections to partners, to suppliers, manufacturing, uh, potential customers to do pilot and test the technology, uh, investors, uh, and so forth. And uh, this is also a network that uh, I spend a lot of my time at Mass Robotics building and nurturing. So um, we we developed 40 uh, core, core corporate partners, uh, companies like Amazon Robotics, FedEx, Honda, Mitsubishi Electric, Analytic Devices, Thomas H. Lee, Cowan, uh, and others. Uh, and the last piece is the um, the uh, ecosystem infrastructure, the programming, the networking events, the demo, basically making multiple um, touch points and um, kind of uh, opportunities for the different stakeholders to come together and uh, share ideas, experiences, insights. Um, so fast forward from 2014 to today, um, we grow the organization. Uh, it's um, leading around 400 robotics companies in the East Coast, having more than 70 resident startups, uh, 40 corporate partners, uh, 40,000 square feet of shared office and lab space, spun out seven companies and uh, and the company is growing and I'm very proud of the uh, the team we have there and uh, all the activities and programming. And also we do a lot of work around STEM, uh, just nurturing the next generation of uh, roboticists and, and professionals in this space. And, and I would just add that the, you know, all of the, the great work that Mass Robotics has done and, and uh, Fadi has helped lead, uh, the one gap that we saw, and Fadi, this gap was very clear with Fadi and also with myself, was that still the missing piece was that capital investment. That's the one piece that Master Robotics doesn't do. And that was really the reason for the launch of the fund. Makes a lot of sense. Congrats on what you guys have accomplished so far. It sounds super interesting and there's obviously a need for it. So you guys are surrounded constantly by innovation in your line of work. I'd be curious to hear you talk about some of the transformational technologies that you see happening in manufacturing right now from startups. So the way we see it is, is from a kind of a macro perspective, what has been happening in manufacturing over the last uh, few decades or so is when you think of the history of um, creating stuff, uh, we started off by very customized, very tailored thing. Like if you want to, to have a, a pair of shoes or a watch or a sword or whatever, you will go to a professional and they uh, will develop this kind of custom build for you. Obviously this, this was expensive. It took a long time and not highly optimized. And then came the industrial revolution and, and the, kind of open up the door for the mass production and the classical production lines. And uh, we know the kind of the Henry Ford story and all of that. And, and with mass production, we lost customization. So you cannot have a customized pair of shoes. Like, I mean, there are certain sizes and regardless the shape of your uh, uh, feet, I mean, this is this is what you get. 
So, um, and this is the kind of the 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 era that we have been living in for uh, the last uh, maybe a few decades or so. Now we are stepping into what's called um, uh, mass production in quantities of one. So we are going back to customization and tailoring, but not relying on professionals, but on very smart machines. And these are machines that are able to uh, self-organize, uh, self-configure, and basically have some level of uh, intelligence. Um, and, and, and this is actually built on the, the hierarchy of the uh, Industry 4.0. When you think of the pyramid of the Industry 4.0, at the very bottom, you have IoT sensors to kind of get data. And then on top of that, there's the analytics layer. And then on top of that, you have the cognition and AI layer. And then the, 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 the peak of this hierarchy is uh, these kind of smart machines. So, so this is the mega trend that we see that we are moving um, a little bit away from fixed production lines to more self-configured, self-organized, smart uh, production systems. It's not line anymore, right? Um, and then in order to do that, we have been seeing lots of advances in technology. So, uh, Mark can, can share some examples, uh, but this is the kind of the overview that uh, we see. And like a lot of and like a lot of technology trends, it it ultimately comes down to convergence and timing. And as Fadi has outlined, this uh, uh, the use of more smart manufa uh, machines, manufacturing, uh, production manufacturing of one, it ultimately has to be enabled by underlying technology. Otherwise, you're just you're you're just wishing and hoping for the concept. And so what's great about what's happening now is you have incredible sensor technology that's improving um, you know con continuously and the costs are dropping. You have incredible processing power that's getting stronger and stronger with some of the leading chip companies. Um, you have improvements in software. So the, what it takes to develop a, a robot today uh, in terms of hardware and software, um, you have tons of capability that you can build on. The development times are shrinking dramatically. So you have this you have this mega trend, as Fady described, being supported from underneath by uh, the incredible progress of technology, the key technology elements that uh, support robotic systems. So, I mean, we can mention some examples that we're seeing in, in robotics. So, I mean, obviously the whole uh, trend of collaborative robots um, so um, these are basically, I mean, compared to the classical industrial arms, the huge bulky caged industrial arms, uh, these robots are uh, lightweight, much safer, uh, easy to program, obviously much cheaper. Um, they don't have the same capability in terms of payload and um, kind of uh, repeatability, uh, but they basically open up a whole new areas of automation, things that we couldn't automate before with the industrial arms um, because of either dexterity or safety or um, just uh, feasibility. Uh, now, kind of small tasks, uh, very repetitive tasks that were done by humans uh, can be done with uh, collaborative robots. So obviously universal robot is uh, market leader in the space. 
This is a Danish company got acquired by uh, Teradyne, uh, which is um, uh, a large local company here in Massachusetts. And um, they probably have 50% of the uh, total market. Mm -hmm. Uh, and then there are lots of other companies trying to uh, create their own uh, collaborative robots. We see also the, the large ABB, Fana, Cook, and all of those traditional players have came up with their own versions of collaborative robots. Uh, so this is definitely an area that we're seeing lots of advances. Um, and then you have, and then you have autonomous mobile robots, or as people refer to them, AMRs. Uh, these. And these comes in in uh, in a variety of forms, whether they're picking uh, picking items for packing into sh shipping boxes, or um, or you have them for moving moving products, uh, and either in a logistics or warehouse facility, uh, or in the in the manufacturing operations, um, either in the front end uh, or on the back end in the inventory and finished goods. So, and uh, you know. One of the one of the key launch points for the robotics industry was Amazon acquiring Kiba back in 2012, and another uh, and one of the things that happened was uh, that launched a company uh, effectively called Locus Robotics, which is again another Boston-based company, who uh, once Amazon took Kiba off the market, other logistics manufacturers needed a solution for autonomous mobile robots, and and Locus Robot. Robotics uh, grew out of that. They're now one of the industry uh, leaders in the space with a multi-billion-dollar valuation. So, uh, and there's there's many other players as well. So there's a lot of uh, there's been a lot of advances, and there's now a lot of options. Uh, so whether you're a large manufacturer or a small manufacturer, uh, there's a lot of technology, uh, proven technology to choose yeah. from now. Another area we see lots of advances in is is grippers. So uh, we're so these are the end effectors of um, collaborative robots or industrial arms, uh, but we have been seeing lots of advances there, especially in soft robotics or so soft grippers that can manipulate um, stuff that you cannot um, handle with the traditional mechanical grippers. So stuff like uh, food, bakery, eggs, uh, um, uh, clothing, you know, all of that. So. Uh, there's actually a local company here called Soft Robotics. They one of the pioneers in the space. Um, but um, um, there has been lots of advances in this area, the area of grippers, because um, you could have the arm, but how and what items to manipulate it really depend on the gripper. And then there's advances in um, machine vision systems. So how you can enable those arms to right. see things and decide how to pick items, how to move items without hard, hard coding or hard programming. Um, so also companies like Right Hand Robotics, uh, uh, Dexterity and, uh, and a few others. Um, so we have been seeing lots of advances there. Um, another area is uh, basically interfaces. So how you interface with robots, how you program them, how you um, uh, configure them. So there is lots of um, work done around that. So basically how we can get to a level that you don't need to have any programming background to program a robot. So stuff like um, uh, kind of, there's a whole group of companies now that they are called like no code 
programming. So you don't need to write any code, uh, but you can, it's um, rather graphical kind of block-based programming or even speaking to the robots or gesture control, uh, all, the, all these kind of things. And this is all, this is, and all of this uh, innovation is all about taking down the barriers to deployment, making it easier for uh, non-expert, non-robotics experts to be able to deploy the technology and deploy it quickly and easily and get it up and running and delivering value as quick as possible. Yeah. So, um, yeah, in the area of programming, uh, so two interesting companies come to my mind. Southie Autonomy, uh, one of the residents of Mass Robotics, and Tutor, also a resident of Mass Robotics. Uh, but uh, there are lots of others uh, all over the uh, the U.S. and, and even worldwide. So no shortage of uh, technology advances, Joe, for sure. Okay, let's take a quick break here. I want to let a couple of our strategists at Gorilla76 tell you about something pretty cool that we're doing right now for marketing folks in the manufacturing sector. Peyton and Mary, take it away. Yes, so I'm Peyton Warren. And I'm Mary Keough. Twice a month, we host a live event called Industrial Marketing Live. Right now, we have a group of 50 plus industrial marketers from a variety of manufacturing organizations. We meet up digitally to learn, ask questions, network, and get smarter. Every session has a designated topic. And one of our team members at Gorilla76 opens up by teaching for the first half hour or so. Topics have included how to get better at a manufacturing webinar, getting started with paid social on LinkedIn, how to optimize your website for conversions, creating amazing video content, and so much more. After we break it down, we open it up to Q&A so we can help you apply all of this in your own businesses. This is pure value, no cost, no strings attached, no product or service pitches, just a 100% unadulterated learning experience. Oh, and on top of these live sessions, we've also opened up a Slack channel where our attendees bounce ideas off each other and learn together all week long between sessions. We're building a true community of manufacturing marketing professionals here. So if you or someone at your company has the word marketing in his or her job title, please consider telling them about it. They can visit industrialmarketinglive.com to register. We'd love to see you there. Yeah, great overview there. Um, and I think it's a good lead in to the next question I wanted to ask you about. You know, Mark, you just said that uh, a lot of this technology is about um, making, you know, lowering the barrier, making robotics and automation more accessible to more companies in more situations. Um, so let's, let's talk about technology adoption here that there are places in the manufacturing sector where I just see so much innovation going on and in other places you have companies operating like it was 30 or 50 years ago. And in, in some ways, what does it take to get past that fear of change or making an investment in something new? First of all, I think the, the high level point is that things have changed a lot, even in the last three years, five years, um, it, you used to have, you know, if you were to especially for a small medium uh, operation to jump into adopting some of this new technology, you would have been taking some risks. You'd be, you might be one of the leading use cases to try and solve some of these issues. That's really not the case anymore. Uh, for most man manufacturing tasks, somebody has already tried it and in a lot of cases solved that. Uh, and so I think the, the risk is dramatically uh, reduced uh, today. You've got multiple choices in terms of vendors. 
you've got tons of use cases out there where a lot of what I think small and medium manufacturers will find. Somebody's already solved this problem and you don't. So the risk fundamentally is dramatically lower. So it's all about, I think step one is um, assess your operations. What are, what are, you know, what's your top, what are your top priorities? Um, do you have a labor issue? Do you need to try and bring in some automation to address that? Do you, are you trying to drive up productivity or trying to reduce cycle times, whatever it is, and pick something in your manufacturing operations to make that first step. And maybe you don't touch your manufacturing line. Maybe you focus on finished goods inventory and, and moving products. Yeah. Uh, get a robot or two into the facility. Um, maybe it's just moving material from a loading dock into your manufacturing operation. Pick somewhere in your manufacturing operation and uh, and target that. And then I think in terms of next steps, reach out to people who who know the industry and, you know, that could be us, for example, in terms of giving, guiding uh, some folks and then start talking to vendors. And then what's very common in the industry is, um, and all the vendors uh, are used to working in this way, is you launch a pilot. Pick, pick that operation that you want to automate and, uh, and launch a pilot and, and you know, get management and line people involved in the process um, and get people comfortable with it. Uh, test out that pilot, do your ROI analysis and validate, validate the value proposition. This is the, this is really the way to get started. And, um, and then from, you know, it really depends on the scope of ambition, but if you, if you want to go step-by-step, step, pick a, pick an operation that's, uh, that's high value to do, uh, to, to the, uh, the operation to improve, to drive some kind of improvement. And, uh, I think people will find that, as I said, the technology has advanced to, to such a stage that it's uh, it's not as scary. And I, I would emphasize the people side of it. I think when you know we hear this story all the time that um, people who've taken that step that I'm describing, they realize that some of the workers they like actually have, it's kind of cool, kind of exciting to have that robot moving around the factory and. They're excited to. Most people will be excited to learn about it. And if you do, if you do the right kind of onboarding of both your your staff as well as doing the financial analysis and the execution, um, many many times uh, it's going to lead to a successful experience. Yeah. If I may just add that um, manufacturers, when they get engaged with startups, uh, one piece of advice is don't don't interact with startups as a supplier as a vendor uh there are still young companies there are the there's a lot that they need to learn about your space and industry and uh and business so um take them by your side uh um work together to solve the problems and perfect it, the product right. uh don't kind of sit on the other side and kind of feed them with requirements and specs and expect them to figure it out and, and come back with the finished solution. Uh, it's a it's a very hard expectation from uh, small companies. They have the innovation, they have the new technologies, they have the new tools, uh, but uh, definitely they need the, uh, the wealth of experience yeah. that manufacturers have. 
Yeah. And the good news is they're almost in all cases very hungry to learn. And so I think you, know, you make a great point, Fede, that taking a highly collaborative approach with these companies, they want to learn, they want to make you successful as a manufacturer, you want to make this uh, successful, taking a collaborative approach is the right way to go. Yeah. Fadi and Mark, I hear a lot of buzz these days about reshoring uh, of U.S. manufacturing and much of this being driven by supply chain challenges the past few years. But alongside that, we continue to see an exodus of workers that is creating a pretty troubling shortage of labor. To me, all of this points toward automation not being an option, but a necessity but I'd like to hear your perspectives on it. There's been uh, endless uh, discussions and conversations around robotics automation and um, jobs and manufacturing and reshoring and all of that. And um, it, it's very hard to, to generalize this discussion because Manufacturing is different than logistics, different than construction, different than healthcare, different than utilities. Every industry has its own profile in terms of uh, labor force, in terms of uh, market dynamics, um, export and import and all of that. So, um, for example, one of the sectors that we invest in, as Mark mentioned earlier, is construction. And construction... uh, without any kind of um, debate, uh, they have a labor shortage. They don't have enough labor to cope with the increased demand. So, uh, and that's why we see a lot of activities around construction robotics and we invested in in two companies and about to conclude the third one in the space. Um, so this is this is the, 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 the state of the, workforce and, and construction, for example. The same with healthcare, too. Uh, when you think of manufacturing, um, again, I think it varies from different sub-segment uh, to another. Uh, some, uh, they are struggling to find the uh, committed, stable uh, workforce. Others, they don't have enough. Uh, but... Uh, Overall, um, we also during the pandemic that um, basically we um, kind of supply chain challenges and the high dependency on uh, manufacturing overseas. And uh, the U.S. is is well aware of that Uh, from a a national perspective. There is already plans in place and uh, the U.S. government see um, bringing manufacturing back to the U.S. as as a matter of national security. And this was the reason for the launch of many initiatives. One of them is the ARM Institute, the Advanced Robotic Manufacturing Institute, and uh, and few others. Um, So there is already federal initiatives around the topic. Uh, But I think what we need to change is we need to change the, the, the public perspective and the narrative around robotics and automation and the whole resisting of not to automate, not to use robots because it will take away jobs. This is, um, it's a very tricky argument because if we don't do that, we will become less competitive, which means that we will lose uh, business and we will lose economic opportunities that will go to other countries that have cost advantages or who are investing heavily in using robotics. So um, fun fact, uh, South Korea is uh, the top country in terms of density of robots per uh, capita. 
So this is South Korea. The U.S. comes like six or seven on the list. Uh, there's Germany, there's China, there's there's other countries there. So and and uh, lots of reports predict that fifty uh, percent of all robots uh, by twenty thirty will be sold in the U in China. So China is the largest market for uh, industrial robots and collaborative robots and all of that. So so we need to think about. Um, economy and, and 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 business opportunities. If we have more business opportunities, and if we manufacture more and more kind of products in the US, it means that we will open up more and more jobs. If we close those factories and we, we don't have them, we lose them to other countries, then basically we lost the whole business and all the supporting businesses around them. So this is the perspective that we all need to, to understand and, and share with uh, our own networks. Uh, when you think of Amazon, Amazon, they, they, they have a highly automated operation. They acquired robotics companies. They continue to invest heavily in robotics and, and they have fleet of robots. And uh, they, they basically hiring tons and tons of people to just cope with the business that they are generating. Obviously, they are not hiring the kind of very, very uh, frontline jobs, but they, in terms of economic opportunity and activity, it's huge. And they are expanding to other places. So I think this is what we need to uh, to focus on. Uh, it's about creating opportunities. And and the same tech, the technology convergence opportunity is the same as we discussed earlier. The, the the evolution of the robotics technology, the availability and and uh, the variety of uh, of options you have to deploy uh, very competitive solutions. For sure, this closes this helps dramatically in closing the global competitive gap with other overseas uh, manufacturing. And of course, you have the benefit uh, of being close to where the customers are in the case of the u s. And so I think now is the time. The, the this outdated uh, argument about oh robots are going to steal all the jobs and you overlay labor shortage uh, now is the time and uh, when we launched the fund uh, we really felt like we had a good idea and we had pretty good timing and then COVID hit and actually this threw the doors open in terms of this was kind of the first call to to bring automation and robotics into into some of these sectors um, to protect people to become more efficient. And, um, and I, we see that uh, that's just going to continue now. And what we thought was a good idea now looks like a great idea with great timing as, as the, uh, the industry is really taking off. And I would also say there's, um, there's an opportunity out there. One of the other trends we see, um, which I think goes to the reshoring point, is this concept of micro factories. There's a lot of there's a lot of innovation going on in the area of micro factories and, and it's a variety of different implementations, but you can effectively put a mini factory in a, think of a shipping container. And, and if you take all the latest and greatest robotics technology and you pack it into a shipping container, you'd be amazed at what you might be able to produce. And um, imagine when we first launched, when we first got hit by COVID, if you could have dropped um, shipping containers in the parking lot of hospitals and produced masks, how would that have changed rather than waiting for airplanes flying masks over from China? Um, and this is the kind of thing that you, you this is the kind of thing you can do with automation. 
you can bring manufacturing um, close. Doesn't have to be mega massive factories in centralized locations. It can you can move to a distributed model. Uh, the other opportunity that's out there uh, for some of your listeners um, in the manufacturing space is the volume of robotics manufacturing is going up dramatically, and there's a huge opportunity for for a, for a few entities to step into this space and be a be a U.S. based manufacturer for some of these robotic subsystems or even full robotic. Still today, many robotics uh, manufacturers. Robotics companies have to go overseas to get um, either their full systems or their um, their subsystems manufactured in any kind of volumes. And um, so there's an opportunity out there in micro factories. There's an opportunity out there in actually being the manufacturer for robotics uh, systems. And we know a lot. We have a long list of startups that would love to uh, talk to manufacturers locally uh, that could do that job uh, cost effectively. Yeah. As we're recording this in August of 2022, and economists seem to be debating whether we're truly headed into a full-scale recession or not right now, there's definitely volatility out there. How do you see the current economic climate affecting manufacturing in the foreseeable future? We have few data points. Uh, I wouldn't say that we have a complete uh, theory here, but we have few data points and few observations that um, robotics adoption, historically speaking, have had a reverse correlation with downturns and recessions, meaning that uh, if you have a recession and everything is slowing down, actually uh, companies look at automation and robotics uh, because this could help on um, kind of respond to fluctuating demands and reduce costs and um, just allow them to kind of manage these situations. Um, we, we saw that during the pandemic so there was a huge kind of uptake take on uh, robotics adoption, robotics investment uh, across the board, not only uh, kind of disinfecting robots or healthcare robotics and uh, these kind of robots, but also manufacturing, supply chain, all, all operation that were hit by the fact that they cannot have people uh, physically in, in workplace. So how would you do that? You need a robotics workforce. To, to do that, to keep the economy going on. So um, we, do, we do think and we do hope that uh, we will see some similarities here with this downturn that uh, uh, large companies and probably manufacturers too will um, do that. And Mark and I were kind of discussing recently that it's, uh, it's also a good time for uh, manufacturing companies if right. they want to invest. Yeah, I think it's very, you know, I think, you know, it's been an age-old saying in the in the tech industry that the the best companies take advantage of downturns, and you know we'll see what we'll see what the downturn recession really looks like. But the best companies take advantage of those downturns to make not go crazy on investment, but make wise investments that position them for uh, the next upturn. And so I think investing in robotics and invest, uh, capital investment that's going to you know, drive productivity improvement. And you know if you're if your manufacturing operations are, are not running at 140%, guess what? It's a pretty nice time to do robotics pilot, right? Good time to uh, to test out some of the stuff like we've discussed on, on this uh, podcast. 
Yeah. Fady, Mark, is there anything that I did not ask you about that you'd like to add to this conversation? We can help manufacturers as uh, as an investment firm. Sometimes uh, it's not an obvious connection like, okay, you, uh, you are an investment firm, you invest in small companies, how you can um, get engaged with manufacturing companies or uh, large manufacturing firms. Um, so a few things that come to our mind, uh, obviously, uh, we are out there, we have a um, tons of connections to lots of companies, innovative companies in the space, uh, have a huge exposure to both companies in the US and worldwide. So if manufacturers want to um, kind of pick our brain or um, kind of just bounce ideas with us around uh, what are the technologies out there and, and uh, what are the companies that they might get engaged with, I think this is something we can help with. Uh, another thing is, um, if, uh, as Mark said, if companies are interested in, in investing, uh, we can also help companies uh, with some of the opportunities that we ourselves are looking at uh, for investment opportunities. Um, a third thing is, um, many companies in our portfolio actually are looking for manufacturers right. to, uh, to manufacture the kind of products that, that they are doing. And uh, it's not always easy to find the right manufacturer. So if uh, if some people on the audience here are contract manufacturing or electronics assembly um, providers and, and all those uh, amazing folks uh, who are interested to get engaged with us and our portfolio companies and our network, uh, we are also happy to uh, to chat and help and, and build connections. Uh, Mark, I don't know what else uh, we can help with. I think the the overall point is, you know, obviously we're investors, uh, but we also believe in the ecosystem, and uh, and and uh, we want we want to see the we want to see the network and the community grow, and um, and we uh, we take it as part of our responsibility to help in making those connections and 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 help drive the drive the ecosystem to support robotics and automation for everyone at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, this was a great conversation, guys. Can you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with the two of you as well as learn more about Cybernetics Ventures and Mass Robotics? The best way to get in touch with us is through our website, uh, www.cybernetics.vc. Uh, um, so there's lots of information about the firm. There's um, a contact form there. We're very disciplined in checking every uh, outreach and responding to everyone. So probably this is the best way to get in touch with us. Yeah. Uh, for Mass Robotics website is uh, www.massrobotics.org and uh, people can go there and, and see how they can help or support or get engaged. Well, guys, thanks for doing this today. Thank you. Thank you, Joe, for having Joe, us. Joe, thanks very much. It's been a pleasure. It was my pleasure. As for the rest of you, I hope to catch you on the next episode of The Manufacturing Executive. You've been listening to The Manufacturing Executive Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you'd like to learn more about industrial marketing and sales strategy, you'll find an ever-expanding collection of articles, videos, guides, and tools specifically for B2B manufacturers at gorilla76.com learn. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.